Hi there, gang. It's us. Yeah, we're back.、Uh, you are listening to part two of our deep dive on the NC17 rating, and that means you should have listened to part one. Didn't you love the audio quality? You did. Well, you're a liar because last time the audio quality wasn't so great.、Uh, so this is just a quick heads up to say. Yeah, the audio quality in this one is also not fantastic. However, Alicia and I did do a lot of research in this one. The energy was really good, and so we felt like it was best overall to try and leave it as is. So we hope that it still sounds good to you guys, and we hope that you can enjoy part two of our deep dive on the NC17 rating. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Hello and welcome. I'm Will, and I'm Alicia. This is Enter the Rabbit Hole. Each week, we dive into and dissect the weird, the momentous, and the downright interesting. And today, we're still covering NC17. Yeah,、uh, Alicia, let's do that thing where we pretend that a week has passed when, in fact, it's only been five <laughs> minutes. How you been? I've been, I've been good. You know. Yeah.、Um, Crazy week, huh? Sure, a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe that thing that happened. Yeah, no, truly, truly tragic. R.I.P.、Um, to the person who is no longer with us. Wow, setting it up dark, eh? Yeah, but also <laughs> we had that massive turn of good luck, you know, which we're really enjoying. Yeah, and we should all thank our lucky stars. We should. I am so glad that we. Finally, we're able to cure the COVID nineteen pandemic without. No, you don't go specifics. <laughs> <laughs> it's not sorry, how this works. sorry, I broke the rules of the game. I am so glad that we have finally solved that problem. And and what a big problem it was. Yeah, not、But、anymore, now, baby. We're in the clear. Ooh, that's how science works. <laughs> yeah. So、uh, now that we've got that off our off our back,、um, why don't we、uh, talk about what what we're What we're oh my god! What we're talking about? Today. <laughs> wow! Oh,、uh, why don't we first do our call to action? Yeah, let's do that.、Uh, if you're listening, go ahead and follow the show and leave us a review, good, bad, or ugly. We would love to hear from you. Also, if you have any ideas for future episodes, please share them with us. You can find us at etrhthepod at gmail dot com or at etrhthepod on social media. Yeah, if you could, that would be swell. Because, my gosh, do we spend a long time thinking about what we're going to cover in every episode? So if you just came ahead and were like, "Say this thing about this stuff," that really would take a lot of the pressure off us.、Uh, thank you. I just googled things starting with N for、uh, for this episode.、Mm-hmm. That's not true, but、uh, NC seventeen was a kind of a throwaway idea, and now it's a two parter. So that's how it goes sometimes. That's how it goes. That's how it.、Uh, So should we do a, a previously on previously, previously on Enter the Rabbit Hole, and then we just have like really fast、Cut. snippets where I'm like, "My God, she's dead!" Can you believe the size of that hole? Who would have done something like this? 
Get him! <laughs> now, on Enter the Rabbit. But for real. So, last time we were talking about uh, the, I, the rise of... First off, the rise of Hollywood controversy that was embedded in the movie industry early on. Uh, the scandals that led to the formation of the Hayes Code and its massive list of kind of arbitrary sounding don'ts. Do's and don'ts. Yeah, Mostly don'ts, don'ts and be carefuls. And uh, how by the late 1960s, that meant that Hollywood cinema looked pretty old-fashioned and wasn't really reflective of... But the new hot young kid on the black TV was taken over. Exactly, yeah. And so it couldn't really uh, compete. So, with all that in mind, let's crack on. So, now we're at 1968. The Hayes Code is all but being ignored. And in steps a young gentleman by the name of Jack Valenti. So Jack Valenti would go on to become uh, the chairman of the Motion Picture Association of America, also known as the MPAA. And he is, I'm not sure if spin doctor is the correct word, but he he had been involved in uh, the PR industry for a long time. He actually worked closely alongside LBJ. He was, if you look, at that famous picture of uh, LBG, LBJ being sworn in next to Jackie Kennedy on the flight uh, where they were flying out of Dallas, he is just off to the left. He, he's literally in frame. So he was used to working very closely alongside the government, which is interesting because he would then go on to supposedly advocate for the movie industry and a lack of government regulation and oversight. How Republican of him. Yeah, it's Jack Valenti, let's say, he, he's a man who talks out of one side of his mouth. He does, and we'll talk about that quite a lot. Um, so the idea here is that the industry, representation of the industry needed a shakeup. They needed to rethink their rating system, which up until now had been A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. So an A was, uh, this is fine to to show in every theater. Pretty two-shoes. Yeah, a B was some questionable <laughs> ma- material, and a C rating was essentially like, don't watch this, it will completely corrupt your kids. Yeah? Um, that system was no longer fit for purpose. So, in steps Jack Valenti and the MPAA. So the MPAA ostensibly was made for the filmmaker, Mm -hmm. right? They're supposed to give the freedom to the filmmaker so they can make the film they want to make. We're not holding you back anymore. And actually, even though the the name, the MPAA, is synonymous with uh, ratings, film ratings nowadays, if you go to their website, you won't be greeted with information about rating films immediately. You certainly won't see the word censor anywhere on there, but what you will see is a lot of film advocacy, advocacy for freedom of expression, um, trying to champion the rights of filmmakers, etc, etc, etc. So they they are not very upfront with their, their primary objective, shall we mm. say. And we can see that maybe it kind of changes throughout the years. So initially, The MPAA had four ratings as of November in 1968. This information, by the way, is mostly from Vulture, which is like a culture magazine website. So the ratings were G, suggested for general audiences, M, suggested for mature audiences or parental discretion advised, 
this would later change into like the PG-13 rating, are for restricted persons under 16 not admitted unless accompanied by a parent or adult guardian and X persons under 16 not admitted. Yeah, so we're going to circle back to that because for a variety of reasons, we think of the X rating as being uh, something very, very different. So naughty. But you can see there uh, a system which is much more akin to the modern US rating system in the way that it is, the way that it's labeled and also the way it's structured. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, obviously, this system is a lot more revolved around age and age appropriateness. Whereas the other one was more about moral appropriateness. So it's not so much like a C rating as like, well, your kids shouldn't watch it. It's more like, you shouldn't watch it. You shouldn't be corrupted as an adult. You can't make your own decisions. Yeah, which again is very savvy because you're taking the same product and you're packaging it in a different box because it's still about moral objection. But as we were saying last time, uh, the, the censorship board becomes something that doesn't have the word censorship in it. It's still, in my opinion, attempting to censor, but it it's doing it on the grounds of suitability for children, mm -hmm. suitability for families. You're going to see the word parents, children, families, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, throughout this entire thing, but um, but it but it still stems from this question of morality: what is and is not okay to show audiences. Yeah, and if anybody has studied any history of the U.S., you will know that it's a very puritanical society um so that plays a pretty huge role in the mpaa yeah that's that's what makes it so naughty <laughs> so according to the vulture the m was rechristened gp in 1970 and then again to pg in 1972 which is parental guidance the Before it was guidance parental, and they were like, I'm looking at this, but it just doesn't make sense. My Does brain. this make sense to you? Guid no, it's a guidance parental movie. You can, you know, if you're parental, you can guidance your children. Um, the minimum age for R-rated movies was raised from 16 to 17 in 1970. The PG-13 was nestled between the PG and R and was added in 1984. So I think we were talking about this off air a little bit. This apparently was championed by Steven Spielberg, although I imagine he was coming up against issues that other directors and writers had come up against previously, uh, specifically with the summer blockbuster, Jaws, because Jaws was released as a PG because it did not contain material which would have been considered mature enough for an R rating, but he, he was like... He didn't believe that children should see it. No, because... I, I, would did you? you? Did you watch Jaws? <laughs> Like, I saw snippets of that as a kid, and I was afraid to go in my fucking bath, right? <laughs> as, like, as a bubble bath. Are you crazy? You can't see through those bubbles. There could be a shark in there, in that foot of water. So, um... Yeah, I was terrified of the bathroom, uh, because I saw it as a child. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. Uh-huh, 100%. Yeah, any... After watching that movie, like, any pipe then becomes... Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. I was afraid to sit on the toilet. Nightmare fuel. <laughs> That's problematic. <laughs> it sure is. Yeah. And the so you just shat is, in the carpet. For years, I didn't know why I was afraid of it, because I think I kind of blocked it out of my head. <laughs> and my parents had put on a movie with a clown on it, and I apparently ran out of the room screaming, it's going to kill everybody, it's going to kill everybody, even though it's just like 
a regular party clown and my parents had no idea what had happened because I was over at a friend's place and my friend had put in the VHS. Your mom's in the corner and she's like, she's so dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> you just sat in the corner rocking back and forth. I mean, that would be my mom's reaction. <laughs> we should calm down. Watch a scary clown movie. Come on. Um, but yeah, so coming back to, to Steven Spielberg and Jaws, uh, and I think the movie probably registered a lot of complaints from parents who justifiably were like, my, my kids shouldn't be watching this movie. Uh, he then came up against the same issue with Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I think specifically... The face melting? No, that's... Oh, that's the next movie, sorry. Yeah, uh, no, no, that that is the first movie. Oh. Oh my goodness, Alicia. Come on. Hey. I know. Hey. Uh, so, no, the issue in Temple of Doom, I believe, was specifically the, the scene where a man's heart is ripped out through oh, his yeah, chest. Yeah. You know, like the Kalima, Kalima, that whole thing. Uh, also not suitable for kids. Uh, the the final straw, I think, was on the movie that he then went on to co-produce, which was Gremlins. Now, you and I tried to watch Gremlins a while ago, and I think we both, like the Goonies, like when we sat and watched the Goonies, we came away from it saying, I think they're both good movies in their own right. But even though I watched both movies as a child, I was like, these are not children's movies. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. No, I didn't. I didn't like either of them. And I know people will be like, what? You didn't like the Goonies? Uh, bear in mind, the first time I saw the Goonies, I was 25 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you were ready <laughs> for the Goonies. Um, yeah, the scene in Gremlins where they take over the bar and they're holding uh, the the uh, female love interest hostage and they're all the gremlins are all like chain smoking and one of them's got like a gun and they're just like firing wildly around the bar it kind of <laughs> it kind of strays from like fun yeah like fun kitty mischief to oh no that's a felony yeah you shouldn't you shouldn't do that so the new system was devised pg-13 which of course signals to to parents that if you have a minor under the age of 13 you should really do your research before you watch this movie. Mm -hmm. Y13? Jenna. Almost again, like it's really <laughs> arbitrary. Okay, so finally we had the X rating. And these X ratings were made to allow films to explore sex, violence, race, and all those things deemed sordid or, you know, big topics. Yeah, although as soon as she said X rating, I know that the music that started playing in the listeners' minds was... Don't worry, guys. We'll get there. But these films were still shown in mainstream theaters, and some even won Oscars. Well, one did. Midnight Cowboy was the first X-rated film to win an Oscar. Actually, it won three. If you haven't seen it, the film revolves around a wannabe male sex worker and includes scenes of rape, oral sex between men, and drugs. Why, Hayes would have had a heart attack and died clutching his pearls. And also, I know as soon as she said the word Midnight Cowboy, the music that started playing through our listeners' heads was, Everybody's talking at me, I'll hear what Only the... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, trying not to get sued. Okay. Um, so, no NC-17 film has ever won an Oscar, by the way. Today, Midnight Cowboy would certainly still be rated NC-17, and therefore have no chance of being recognized. Yeah, so you wouldn't get that fantastic on-screen chemistry between John Foyt and Dustin Hoffman. Mm. I mean, they did have good chemistry. They certainly did. Other X-rated films include A Clockwork Orange, which was recut to R, Last Tango in Paris, 
Dawn of the Dead, which was released unrated, The Evil Dead 1 and 2, Eddie Murphy Raw, which had to be recut to R, RoboCop, (laughs) which needed 11 recuts to get to an R. You said that like you're surprised about RoboCop. Why is that? I guess in my head it has like 80s action kind of violence, but Uh I've, again, big surprise, Alicia hasn't seen anything. I haven't seen RoboCop. Um, it's a Paul Verhoeven movie, so he's the guy who directed Total Recall, uh, Starship Troopers, Showgirls, mm-hmm. and his whole deal is this over-the-top gratu- gratuity in everything. So not just gratuity in gore, uh, but gratuity in sexuality as well. All I know from Robocop is somebody wearing a t-shirt to a signing that says, remember when Robocop shot that dude in the dick? Yeah, so... I- <laughs> Paul, it's really fascinating. I watched the Wisecrack video about it a while ago. His whole thing, he's originally from the Netherlands, and he remembers the Nazis marching into Holland and seeing these incredible acts of violence against people in everyday life. And so when he came to America and he started making movies and he was told that there were certain things that he could or could not show on screen, his argument was, why why are we okay with having these depictions of violence being entertaining, but we deem these depictions of violence and also sex as being too much? So that's why when you watch his movies and you see, for example, a man being melted in a vat of acid, a la Robocop, or, or a man being stomped by a giant mech suit, a la Robocop, or a man's brain being removed by his body and placed inside of a giant mech suit, a la Robocop, he's like, why why is this not okay? (laughs) Don't you like this? By the way, completely uh, off topic, but if um, you're looking for a great book to read, a book I read as a kid called Number the Stars by Lois Lowry, who's the same author as The Gipper, writes an excellent book about the Nazi occupation of Denmark. But, like, the main character is a a young Jewish girl. And she is basically taken in by a family, and they pretend that she is their dead daughter. Mm. It's excellent. And it's great for kids. (laughs) I don't know. It it is. It's, like, it's a book that you should read. Anyway. (laughs) And does the Jewish girl then go on to direct a movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger goes to Mars and and sees a lady with three breasts? No, but she removes her brains and uh, puts it inside a mech suit. That's the end of the book. <laughs> it was a real twist ending when she stomped that Nazi stormtrooper, but uh, but I liked it. Sorry, just when you mentioned his... Uh, sure. I just was immediately transported to being like 11 years old and reading that book. Hmm. Okay, um, let's get back to uh, X ratings. Uh-huh. So you may be more familiar with the X rating when thinking about that little shop you visit to pick up something special. Or that website you only look at while in incognito mode is on. I'm talking P-O-R-N. Prawn? Yeah. Oh. Prawn cocktails. <laughs> you know that I've been to that prawn shop. Oh. <laughs> That's why you always smell like fish. That's not why. <laughs> <laughs> it's because of my secret side job as a fisherman. Yeah. Sure. The MPAA made a crucial error in their system. While they had trademarked the other ratings, X was not. So several filmmakers began labeling their quote-unquote sexploitation films, or softcore porn, as X-rated, 
which meant theaters were showing Midnight Cowboy and I, a woman too, a film about a sexual adventuress who is tricked into marrying a former Nazi officer whose hobbies include pornography and prostitution. I don't know that either of those are classed as <laughs> hobbies. Could you could you make a Facebook group where it's like, hey, I was thinking about getting together this weekend for some pornography and prostitution. I think those could be interests, but <laughs> let's not be generous and call them hobbies. I didn't write it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So now we can argue about whether or not these films deserve to be in the same cinema, but the issue was when hardcore pornography labeling itself as XX or triple X began showing up, and so the X rating became synonymous with porn, and filmmakers would no longer allow their films to be labeled as X. How confusing and disappointing it must have been when uh, the early 2000s action romp triple X came out and people saw Vin Diesel instead fully clothed yeah instead of Jenna Jameson and they, they're sat with their soft penis in their hand for a good 30 minutes and they're like I honestly think this man's just gonna shoot a bunch of people I, I don't think anyone's gonna have anal sex here this is ridiculous I, I mean I'm still gonna try and finish but uh, oh god so this this X rating had uh, a huge impact on films in 1970 to 71 48 films were rated X. The very next year, that number dropped to six. Mm -hmm. So initially, Valenti, in 1968, you know, the head of the MPAA, had claimed that his rating system's object was to free the filmmaker to loosen the artistic fetters around his ankles, segregating pictures. Kind of a weird metaphor. Wait, uh, <laughs> we want to free the filmmaker. We want to loosen his leather bonds that are around his wrists. We want to and... take off his leather face mask. Yes, and remove the ball gag from his mouth so that his you mouth be... say anything! His Free. mouth can be open to put anything you want in the filmmaker's mouth. Mr. Valenti, <laughs> why are you taking your shirt off? Oh, sorry, force of, force of habit. Are we still doing the press conference? I'm sorry. But by 1972, he switched his position to... Oh, the movie rating system is made for parents. Repeat, parents, not professional critics or movie historians. Interesting. He actually put the word repeat in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did. He, yeah. really, <laughs> he really wanted to shoot himself in both feet, huh? At the beginning, an X rating meant anything goes, which shows why John, the John Waters film Pink Flamingos had scenes depicting cannibalism, rape, vomiting, incest, masturbation, and dog feces eating according to the Thrillist. So you're saying you haven't seen that one? Mm, uh, not yet, but it's on my list. Yeah, so uh, Gremlins, Jurassic Park, mm -hmm. and then apparently Pink Flamingos. Don't tell people I haven't seen Jurassic Park. <laughs> you go crazy. <laughs> Look, we, we want a response from the audience, etrhthepod on all social media and at gmail.com. So if you feel utterly, utterly... <laughs> Uh, outraged by the fact that Alicia has never seen any of the Jurassic Park movies, not even the new ones. That's not true. I've seen the crappy uh, one with um... Chris Pratt. Yeah, the first one or the second one? The first one. Oh, yeah. No, nah, don't count. I know, but I. It's canon, I'm just but saying. it doesn't count. <laughs> um, coming back to what we said, uh, all way back when we said the reason that 
you get a G rating, you get an M rating, uh, PG-13, etc., but you don't get an X rating is because they didn't trademark it. Did you come across anything saying why they didn't bother trademarking? No, it seems really weird that they would have the foresight to trademark those other ratings and then to come to X and then just be like, eh, don't even bother. Like, wait, maybe it's like we're not going to be giving out that many Xs yeah. anyway or something. Maybe it's a really naive uh, view of the industry where you're like, look, if it's got an X, that means that there could be some boobs, there could be some butts. People are effing and jeffing. There's one guy smoking a big doob. You know, nobody's going to want to make or see those kind of movies. So why even bother? Is it? Do you think it's that expensive to get them trademarked? They they were like, know, I've got, we've got enough money for three, <laughs> but we've got four. Ah! But then they, Search your pockets, guys. they later trademarked uh, GP and PG and then PG-13. Right. So they, they trademarked that one that they then went back and trademarked again because they were like, the first guy just couldn't now spell. Now people are getting really confused and they keep thinking it's a doctor. The film's about a doctor. So are we going to trademark X yet? No, no, no. Don't bother with that. Uh, I'm doing something, Gerald. All right. Well, while we try and rack our brains around that glaring omission, should we take a take a good old break? Let's take a break. Let's take a good old break. And welcome back. Welcome back to Enter the Rabbit Hole, TM. Uh, it's not TM. Don't lie to the people. Oh no, it's not TM. We haven't we haven't trademarked our podcast name. Uh... <laughs> I certainly hope nobody steals the name and then produces a podcast and then Why are you saying this? Brings a lot of inadvertent traffic to our show by accident. Oh no. <laughs> that sure would be terrible. No, it would for all be that terrible. free Shut publicity. Up. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh all right, so Let's fast forward to the year 1990. It's all, uh, uh... uh <laughs> no, I'm just gonna let you flounder. <laughs> it's, uh, well, it's too early for Tamagotchi. Um, mm-hmm. it's, uh... It's still too... pretty much the 80s, if we're being too... honest. Yeah, it's too early for House. It's uh, too early for the 90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the 90s weren't happening, but it was the 90s. By then, the Notorious X rating was replaced by the brand new NC-17 rating. No children. Under the age of 17, absolutely. Mm. This rebrand followed a campaign spearheaded by some of the most powerful creatives in Hollywood to create a rating category that would fit their latest artistic visions that would not automatically result in a box office flop upon release. Mm to, quote, encourage filmmakers to become more adventurous, according to one report covered by the BBC's Film 90 programme. The MPAA finally stepped in to provide a new rating category after an open-ended letter signed by 30 directors was sent their way. Um, now, have you read any of the names on this letter? Uh, sorry, I was currently reading that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask if you uh, could guess any of the names that were on the uh, list. Is it 
Um, is it Rob Reiner, John Landis? Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Wow, how'd <laughs> you do Scott? that? Uh, with names included Francis Ford Coppola, John Landis, Ridley Scott, Rob Reiner, Ron Howard, Spike Lee, and Steven Soderbergh. Thank God I didn't actually have to guess because I couldn't have told you. You wouldn't have got any of those? I know Rob Reiner and Okay. And Steven Soderbergh. Like I know the names. I know Francis Ford Coppola. Actually, I know him better for his wine. <laughs> for I his work... wine? Yeah. His wine. He has a wine. <laughs> <laughs> I a singular like... bottle of wine. Yeah. And he's like, this is mine. Yeah. Don't look at it. <laughs> he has a winery. Wow. You don't know him for the work of <laughs> Dracula or Apocalypse Now or the Godfather movies. I mean, I know all of those films. You don't even know him for... Have I seen any of those His films? family, <laughs> Sofia Coppola or even Nicolas Cage. I mean, I guess I do know Nicolas Cage. You know him for his wine. Yep. <laughs> Well, folks, we hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. Uh, I'm going to go and put my head in the bucket. Guys, they'll leave me here. Moving swiftly on. Oh, dear. The results were mixed. I'm in danger. The results were mixed. The NC-17 rating signified that a movie was not simply saucy spank-bank fodder made solely for the personal use of a lonely businessman in hotel rooms. However, the restriction on viewing still meant that the commercial failure of most films that received this rating were all but guaranteed. If you look at the extensive Wikipedia page on the subject of movies that initially received this rating, link in the show notes as always, you'll see that the vast majority of movies that were slapped with this rating by the MPAA are labelled as, quote, edited for re-rating. So basically, if you, and essentially you have to, if you if you want a commercial release, you have to submit your movies to the MPAA, uh, and we'll explain a little bit more about that process later, if they hand you an NC-17, you 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 are almost certainly going to appeal for a re-edit. You don't want that. Well, we'll talk about it shortly. But basically, we we watched documentary and pretty much every director who says like, and then we got the film back and it was NC-17 and we were just stunned or we were heartbroken or we were devastated because they know that as soon as they get the NC-17 rating, it's dead. Like they can't, no theater is going to take it basically. Yeah. So to really hammer that point home, even though this was initially envisioned as a way to uh, kind of re rehone the image of the X rating and give uh, movie producers more creative freedom and it, to pursue their adventurous visions, etc., etc., nobody wants an NC-17 rating. If you get it, you are going to appeal against it. To make matters more complicated, it seems as though the MPAA are not always fully transparent in what needs to be addressed in order for a movie to receive an R rating. South Park co-creator Matt Stone previously said that when they originally released the 1997 superhero comedy Orgasmo, which he produced and directed alongside Trey Parker, they were issued with an NC-17 rating, but were given no guidelines to follow for re-editing. However, when they released the South Park movie two years later under the joint production of Paramount Pictures and Warner Brothers, they were given explicit guidance on how to make changes for a new rating. 
This is one example of independent producers being left to fail under the MPAA system, while the big six studios are given more assistance. Basically, when they released Orgasmo, <clears throat> which is like a superhero with a dildo on his helmet, and yeah. they were just told, like, well, the whole movie, you can't, you can't take out anything, like the whole movie. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's not. Whereas when they were, when they released the South Park movie, they were given this scene at this time point, you need to remove this joke, you need to remove, like, this like 30 second clip or whatever yeah there's a really interesting uh if you go on youtube and just type in trey parker matt stone uh mpaa they do a forum with i, I think uh independent filmmakers where they're talking about this very subject and they said you know we, we just couldn't believe it like orgasmo is a satire of uh porn but it doesn't contain what you would consider to be uh, graphic depictions of sex. And it is a, a comedy. So they were really flabbergasted when they got this rating and were then just told, uh, you know, they, they wouldn't return their calls. And they said when it came time to make the South Park movie and some of the, the guidance they were given was just crazy. So they had a scene in the trailer where Kyle's mom or it might be Cartman's mom has sex with a horse and the uh, Cara, the um, classification and ratings association said, no, 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 you can't do that. Cara is a subsection of the MPAA. Yeah, they're, they're the ones who actually view and rate the movies. So when they switched out for uh, her having sex with a dog, they said that was absolutely fine. And... Weird standards. Weird. And also there's a scene in um, Team America, mm -hmm. which I have seen, by the way, um, where the puppets are having sex and they say they added basically four minutes because they knew four minutes that they didn't even want in the film, that it was like badly edited so that the MPAA could have something to take out. Yeah, precisely. Precisely. So it, it just proves to be incredibly arbitrary and I, I don't I don't get it they don't get it uh, in fact the MPAA and their rating system seems to have come under increasing fire in recent years from filmmakers who feel that they aren't actually being given their much vaunted freedom to explore the medium rather they feel that they are bowing to the whims of a secretive group of non-qualified pearl clutchers who rather than sitting outside of the industry as impartial observers are actually in bed, fully clothed of course, with studio and distribution execs themselves. Well, the women have bras on because that's how all women have sex. Yeah. As we know. Do you want to uh, take a hot second to talk about things that happen in movies and never happen in real life? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, so people, people always have sex fully clothed or they have sex under, like... I don't know about Under the covers. Yeah, so I don't know about your first time, but like when uh when I when I flowered, when I when I reached my sexual maturity. Sure. Insert a bunch of pictures <clears throat> uh, or a bunch of gifts of flowers opening. Yeah, literally. Uh I I was like, okay, well do you, do you want to go under the covers? Should we go under the covers? And and the girls are always like, no, why would it it's hot. I'm doing why would it? And I'm like, well that's that's what you do. That's how you that's how you do sex. It's under the it's that's what the, the blankets. Yeah, that's what they do in the movies. Um, 
yeah, so that's not real. Uh, if you shoot a barrel, um, it doesn't blow up. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. In real life. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I thought we were just talking about sex things. Um... Uh, if you run to catch someone at the airport uh, before they move to another country. You're probably going to be taken in by TSA. Yeah, you. I mean, you just can't run and catch them at the airport. And even if you do, they'll be like, what the fuck is your problem? I've moved all my stuff over there already. I have a job lined up. It took me so long to get my visa. We've only been on like three dates. Uh, I know I we did know a whole montage, but yeah. So the 2006 documentary, This Film Is Not Yet Rated, makes for some eye-opening viewing. Director Kirby Dick interviews directors who have previously fallen foul of the ratings organization, including Matt Stone, Darren Aronofsky, John Waters, and Kevin Smith. They all paint a similar picture of a well-meaning but concerned parents who will politely suggest that a rogue buttock or pubic thatch is the only thing that is standing between them and an R rating. Incidentally, the board seemed to have more concern with movies portraying or alluding to sex than depictions of graphic violence. Furthermore, according to directors Kimberly Pierce, Adam Egoya, uh, and Jamie Babbitt, they seemed to take umbrage with scenes denoting sex with LGBTQ characters more than essentially identical scenes with straight characters. We can see this as a struggle playing out even now, as at the time of writing, the classification for Marvel's Eternals has just been released as PG-13. This isn't unusual for a Marvel movie, given its fantasy, violence, and action, and some language, but it's the mention of brief sexuality that has raised eyebrows. Other movies, such as Iron Man and The Incredible Hulk, had PG-13 ratings for sexual suggestions, but many film critics have pointed out that this specific decision is likely based on Marvel's first same-sex relationship being depicted on screen. Yeah, it's a big, big moment for the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. I think they've had allusions to, like, uh, same-sex interactions previously, but uh, this is the first time that they've got, like, openly gay characters on screen yeah you told me oh marvel like the movie's just been rated eternal's just been rated and it's given a pg-13 and i immediately because we had just watched that documentary and i immediately said is it because two of the characters are married men like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) ridiculous um that documentary which we'll continue to talk about but it's really worth a watch specifically because like the the director Kimberly Pierce, who wrote uh, Boys Don't Cry, her talking about her experience, like trying to get this film made about like a transgender man and his experience is is just so heartbreaking because she basically put like her whole soul into this movie to kind of try and made in like 1999, I think, to show this like underrepresented experience. And then they just kind of trashed it basically because I think there's a scene... There's there's two or three scenes that they have an issue... Okay, there's three scenes in there that they had an issue with. So the first scene that they had an issue with was um, Hilary Swank's character. So obviously it's a, a trans man going down on a cisgendered woman and she's loving it and she's having a massive orgasm. So the first issue was when um, Hilary Swank's character finishes, uh, he wipes his lips, right? Yeah. He, he they, wipes, like, her, her cum off his lips. They didn't like the suggestion of 
the cum on his face. And it, what they really didn't like was like, it's like the close up of the female character having like an orgasm, basically. Yeah, a very. They were like the orgasm is too long. And then they were uncomfortable by female pleasure, basically, and so they just kind of pointed at her right wiping the cum off. They're like, oh, we can't have that. Yeah, for like I watched the movie many years ago, and the, this is kind of the whole point of the story: is these two characters like uh, becoming closer and closer. And Hilary Swank's character having to be open with the fact that, like, I'm not, like, a genetically born man. And they're in this rural kind of backwaters community. Is this okay with you? And it's like, of course it's okay because you just gave me the craziest orgasm of my life. And so that's two of the issues they had. The other is when Hilary Swank's character is anally raped. and uh, Which is obviously a very important story point. Yeah, it's... it's uh, like a huge turning point in the plot right and sets up the final act so you know how can you then how can you cut around that right and in the documentary kevin smith brings up a point about like why why is sex like such a big deal when all of these other films show like women basically being raped all the time or taken advantage of or shown in like compromising situations we're okay with that we're okay with violence against women but we're not okay with female pleasure? Yeah, I think he goes as far as to say, and he's talking about his movie, Jersey Girl, starring Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler, and the conversation that Liv Tyler has about female masturbation, which again, if you compare it to something like American Pie, which I think had come out a few years previously and got an R rating, guys, are it's all about young men's sexual uh, coming of age and they're talking about jacking off they're talking about fucking a pie for god's sake that's what the whole movie is about and yet Liv Tyler's character who's like a fully grown woman at this point talks about how she masturbates twice a day um, that was something that uh, Kara couldn't stand and they wanted to be retracted so he went as far as to say like how is it that you have a problem with this a conversation about a perfectly natural thing and yet you're willing to show rape on, car on camera, surely it should be the other way around. But who precisely are the people who make these calls? The current chairman and CEO of the MPAA is a former U.S. ambassador to France and assistant secretary of state for economic and business affairs, Charles Rivkin. He took the reins in 2017 after the previous chairman, Democratic Senator Chris Dodd, stepped down from the role. Interesting that so many people are related to the government. Yeah, considering that you didn't want the government to get involved in uh, overseeing how these movies would be rated. Weird that. Strange. As for who actually conducts each rating, this is still shrouded in mystery. According to the classification of rules, this is to, quote, protect the raters from being subject to pressure from members of the public and producers and distributors of motion pictures with respect to the rating of individual motion pictures. In Dick's movie, he manages to speak to two former raiders who are actually speaking in violation of NDAs, which they had described as being purposely vague in order to limit what they would be able to discuss. Through their interviews and the tireless work of one very lateral-thinking PI, it became apparent that how the rating team is made up is not only less than representative, it's also less than honest. I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second and say, specifically in America, although it could happen in other parts of the world, if you did make the the identities of this uh, group of raters 
public, you would have reactions to certain movies where you would end up having, let's say, some members of very conservative religious sects showing up on your front lawn uh, and picketing you to have movies banned, essentially, or to have them re-edited. That, that would happen, right? With, without a doubt. Would that happen so frequently that you need to keep their identities 100% secret? No, I don't think so. And also, what we will see is that when you make this process entirely anonymous, you open the door to abuse this process. A lot of backdoor deals become very easy. Um, also, a lot of other people, they talk about this in the film, like a lot of other people who are under pressure to make decisions are public figures. For mm -hmm. example, judges. Yeah. So why is it okay for a person who's ruling on some cases, literally life or death sentences, mm -hmm. be a public figure? And yet people who are ruling about movie ratings have to be secret. Yeah, it is so strange. It's so strange. I can't think of I can't think of another organization that is in charge of artistic representation or distribution that has this kind of secrecy surrounding it. It does sound like a cult or it does sound like a secret society. It also kind of sounds like, I don't know if you've ever taken a, a deep look in any of those kind of mega corporations that have like so many subsidiaries. Uh, take like 5-Minute Crafts, for example. Yeah. If you go to 5-Minute Crafts website, the the people listed as like their board of directors or whatever, if you reverse image search those people, they're all actors. They're all fake. Oh. Um, <laughs> that's That's worrying. Yeah. And all of their subsidiaries are like that. All of the people who are connected to 5-Minute Crafts, everything is fake. Our CEO and chairman, Bob Human Man. And then you reverse search it and it's just the stock image. Yeah. Um, Bob Human Man <laughs> died in 1978. It's a ghost. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Not, not quite. Sit and think about it. Um, yeah. That, that's so insidious. It is. And to me, that's kind of what it feels like. It feels like, why why are you keeping the secret? Mm -hmm. Why can't I know who you are? And why is it just kind of arbitrary? Mm -hmm. Why do we just accept this? So are they actually owned by Nestle or are they owned by PepsiCo? Five Minute Crafts? Yeah. Um, or they're, they're, they're owned, owned by, by like Halliburton. <laughs> they're probably owned by like um, who owns like Warner Bros? Like one of those like media. Oh, uh, giants. that is AT and T. They're probably owned by Disney. I was gonna say <laughs> maybe they're owned by who are the ones who make the uh, missiles? Is that um, owned by Raytheon? Uh, I don't think they're teaching you how to make missiles in the five minute graphs. Not yet. I'm sure we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Today we're gonna be making this. Uh, cute little scud missile and you can just you can just have this as like a paperweight or you could hang it up in your room you could attach you... it to a drone yeah uh and and teach a village uh for trying to stand up for their rights um just have fun with it
Considering that so many arguments against R and NC-17 rated movies follow the think of the children template, one would assume that the ratings board would be made up of a broad cross-section of average American parents. And the intention to create that image is clearly there. According to the classification and ratings rules, quote, each member of the rating board must be a parent and may not have any other affiliation with the entertainment industry. The chairperson and senior raters may have children of any age. Raters must have children between the ages of 5 and 15 when they join the rating board and must leave the rating board when all of their children have reached the age of 21. Guess what? That's not actually how it works. <gasps> Shocked! In Dick's movie, they discover that not only were many of the still-serving rating board's members children already in their late teens and twenties, some of them apparently didn't even have children. And as much as I'd love to tell you that that has since changed since Jack Valenti stepped down as the president of the MPAA in 2004, we still wouldn't have any idea, because they still don't want to put any board members under the spotlight. So... I get it, like there's always going to be a certain amount of cronyism built into any industry, right? You do a good job, you make all the right decisions, you rub shoulders with the right people, and suddenly you're, I believe you, uh, something they said in the movie was that you get a three-year stint. I think that actually applies to the appeals board's members. Mm. Their, their tenure, the rating board's members might be seven years, but you know, however long, up until your children turn 21, but you've done such a good job and, you know, you've made promises to the right people who have then got promoted, etc, etc. So maybe we just, yeah, don't worry about the job, just keep you around for a little bit longer. I get that. But again, when people aren't allowed to scrutinize this thing in the cold light of day, there's nothing to stop that spreading rampantly. And again, you'll note the wording there when they say, that members shouldn't have any other affiliation with people within the entertainment industry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Also not true. So in the movie, they do this thing where basically they find out the identities of quite a few of the raters and they follow them home. And most of their homes are giant. Yeah. Like they're like McMansions, but they're they are massive. And one of the raiders even lives next door to another raider. So you know, there's like nepotism going on here. Mm-hmm. They probably carpool. Bastards. Maybe they they take turns on who's hosting the barbecue, like at the end of the month. You know, maybe they're swapping recipe ideas. Well, that sounds really nice, actually. Fucking scumbags. <laughs> Maybe they're maybe they're taking turns to babysit. They're now adult children who don't even need babysitters anymore. They're coming out and commenting like, "The lawn looks really good, Jerry. What are you doing with that thing?" And he's like, "Ha ha! Thanks, Steve." It's fucking sickos. Indeed. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna sit on stew. Uh, on all the anger I, I feel towards uh, the rating board's members. But but you guys should go and think about something nice while we take a, a little break. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
hey, it's us again. You know what? I'm just thinking about it. And actually, I'm okay with the Kara uh, board members living next door to each other because, you know what? Imagine if you don't like your neighbor and then you also have to work with them. And that's rough. The, the living hell that that must be. And you've all already like remortgaged your house and the housing market's down. And you also like... And you also really like where you live. And yeah. it's close to a good school. And you low-key suspect that like your co-worker slash neighbor has slept with your spouse. Whoa! But you keep going into work every day because Kara built in that weird thing to your contract where it's like if you terminate your contract early, then you get driven out to an undisclosed location. They put two in the back of your head and they make it look like you skipped the country. That's not actually in their contract. Again, we don't know. <laughs> Maybe it is. All right, so how do Kara and by extension the MPAA make their decisions to censor Sorry, suggest changes to our favorite movies. Well, I'm glad you asked. Because I didn't. they Well, I'm glad you asked. Oh yeah. Because they have a very handy list of rules that movies should, sorry, are advised to follow in order to make the appropriate rating. Let's start with a general audience or a G rating. There's nothing in there that will offend parents, and although there may be, quote, snippets of language that go beyond polite conversation. There is no strong language. Sure. Things like God isn't real or Yeah. That's is that strong language or <laughs> or, um... or is that a snippet of language that goes beyond polite conversation? Yeah, yeah. or we're all gonna die someday. Yeah. Or I... you know, one day the universe will enter its end stage and entropy will claim us all. Yeah, those are that's snippets of language that uh, are a real bummer. Mm. I was thinking more like, oh, your your rug is pretty ugly, or your wife is pretty ugly. Whoa, okay, my wife is real hot. <laughs> right, so I just went beyond polite conversation, which would be okay in a G-rated movie. Next, parental guidance, or PG. As the name suggests, parents may have to stop and consider whether all the material in this movie is suitable for their kids. Quote, there may be some profanity and some depictions of violence or brief nudity, but these elements are not deemed so intense as to require their parents to be strongly cautioned beyond the suggestion of parental guidance. But don't worry, there are no drugs. Yeah, we all know um, 13-year-olds never engage in sex and or drugs. No, absolutely not. And also, drugs are bad. I give you that coffee. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm going to drink some beer. <laughs> you don't drink beer like that. You will spill it all over your chin and lap. Uh, PG-13, as the name implies, strongly cautions parents allowing anyone under the age of 13 to view this film. It's described as a sterner warning from the rating board. Hey! 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 No! Hey! Come it! No! Give! It may step up any of the theme of violence, nudity, sensuality, language, adult activities, or other elements in terms of maturity, or it may not. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, uh, uh. any drug use will automatically move it from PG to PG-13. You can get more nudity, but you can't show nude people having sex. You can show more violence, but it can't be, quote, extreme or persistent. You can also get one F-bomb used as an expletive, which means your character can say, Ah, oh, fuck, Mary Sue, but not, gee whiz, Mary Sue, 
I sure can't wait to take you to prom and fuck that sweet, sweet puss. Gosh, that sure will be swell. Well, first of all, you got puss in there, which you can't have. What if I... No, I definitely wasn't talking about her cat. No. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> then that will push you up. <laughs> and you can't say swell, because that sounds like you're referring to your penis. Mm, and yeah. what it will do later. Yeah. Moving on. A restricted or R rating means a child under 17 can attend the movie, but only with a parent or guardian. According to the board, an R rating, quote, should not be construed as a negative judgment in any sense. They go on to say, an R-rated motion picture may include adult themes, adult activity, hard language, intense or persistent violence, sexually oriented nudity, drug abuse, or other elements. And although you could bring a child to watch an R-rated movie, it is generally deemed inappropriate. <coughs> yeah, you'll be kind of a scumbag. As you can see, with every tier that moves up, the lines become more and more blurred in terms of what can be shown to young viewers. So, the higher your rating is, the harder it is to say, hmm, you can't do that for this reason. It's almost like people just start making their own decisions for yeah. random reasons. It's almost like they don't really have hard and fast rules. Hmm, not ones that they can say out loud anyway. And it doesn't get any clearer with an NC-17 rating. Here, the board is saying that the movie is patently unsuitable for children. But why exactly? Quote, an NC-17 rating can be based on violence, sex, aberrational behavior, drug abuse, or any other element that most parents would consider too strong and therefore off-limits for viewing by their children. When you compare the guidelines for an NC-17 and R-rated movie side-by-side, side, they sound almost identical. This leaves miles and miles of grey area in which our rating board members can hmm, haw, and tut, tut, tut. See, the thing is, as well, they claim to be representative of parents. Mm -hmm. We don't know what they look like. We don't know what their home lives are. But previously, like, the board members that they show in, um, what's his name, Kirby Dick, Dick Kirby. Dick Kirby, sorry. Dick Kirby's film is uh, that pretty much the majority of them are white. Majority are straight, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, I, at one point, one of the guys, when he's asked a former ratings member, they ask him, were there any you know gay people uh, on the ratings board? And he says, well, you know, no. Basically, what it amounts to is like he hands and haws, but he's like, basically nobody that was out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, precisely. Um, so how representative is this? There's very few people of color. There's very few, like, people of a different sexual orientation. People of even, like, who knows if they're, like, adopted kids or, or whatever else. How can you say that your for-profit board is representative of the culture around you when nobody can actually see if they are? Yeah, you can. And that's a really good point. And I just want to lower the tone of that really good point by saying you can remember the di director's name, Dick Kirby, because Kirby Dick is when your uh, penis is bright pink and it sucks in other objects and then changes its form uh, and abilities based on the other objects that sucks in. And you that's a real problem. You may think it's an STD, but really it's a superpower. Yeah, you, <laughs> you may think it's an STD, but actually it's the latest character in the Super Smash Brothers game. <laughs> 
Uh, it's uh, just that image in my head. <laughs> Cracking himself up. Uh, it's been a long day, guys. So, what to expect when you're inspecting an NC-17 rating? It's a good wordplay, I like it. It's a boy! It's a... It's no, it's a girl it, enjoying her body! It's a financial flop! <laughs> Let's assume that you're a movie producer, and you've submitted your movie for an MPAA rating. Better still, let's assume that you're an independent movie producer who doesn't have the backing of a large-scale Hollywood studio and is already worried about getting bums in seats. Even better, let's assume that something, or everything, in your labor of love has attracted the ire of the rating board, and now you've been slapped with the dreaded NC-17 rating. What are your options? First, you can re-edit. Assuming that you've been given clear direction on which scenes were problematic, you can cut, alter, or reshoot them. For violent action movies such as Robocop and The Predator 2, much of the gore had to be toned down. One of the fight scenes from Kill Bill had to be changed to black and white, not for artistic direction, but to tone down the sight of blood. Foul language can also be dubbed out or reshot, as was the case with Pulp Fiction, which still ended up with a whopping 265 mentions of fuck or its derivatives. Fucking, fucker, motherfucking, motherfuck. Oh my god, stop, we're gonna get an NC-17 rating. <laughs> then no one will listen to our podcast. E- even even more no one will listen to our <laughs> podcast. If you're here, we appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, if you're here, please tell your friends. Come on, guys, come on. Um... Or it can be something smaller, like the South Park movie removing the word hell from the movie title. Or it could be something old-fashioned. Or not so old-fashioned. Nudity or sex. American Psycho lost its purposefully over-the-top three-way with two sex workers, but was allowed to keep the killing someone with a falling chainsaw scene. Meanwhile, Team America World Police reportedly shot a screed of additional sex scenes, including puppet scat play, as a kind of editing decoy, just so they could keep the sex scenes they had originally wanted. Yeah, so uh, uh, we mentioned that earlier, but I don't think we uh, we talked about the yeah. puppet puppet poo poo scene. We didn't, and we also didn't mention. Um, I think it is it Eyes Wide Shut, Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. They superimpose like figures over. Yeah. So for those who don't know, Eyes Wide Shut is. I, I've never seen it, but my understanding is it's about, like, a secret society mm-hmm. that Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise enter into, where there is just, like, these massive orgies and wife-swapping. Like, cloaks and masks and stuff. I mean, it looks real sexy. Everyone's wearing, like, uh, those, those like, masks that you wear at, like, costume balls. But that's all they're like wearing. Mardi Gras. Yeah, uh, but you can't really see that because uh, they've just digitally added dudes in cloaks. So it'll be like people fucking and then there's just like a guy watching like, just, them. Just stood there, yeah, awkwardly. Like covering covering the, the natty bits with yeah. his giant cloak. Just a guy with like a paper party plate in his hand with like stacked <laughs> filled like cocktail around. sausages with pineapple and he's like, trying to offer them to people. So, uh, yeah. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. I don't know if these are frozen, but um, yeah. I mean, they're pretty nice. They do have pork in them, though. Yeah. So. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? I couldn't hear you over the the, the moans morning. of ecstasy. <laughs> just like the sausages are good. Oh, she knows. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, just get it right now. 
But what if you look for specific advice on what to change, and you're told the problem is, you know, like, everything? <laughs> well, if you don't fancy some extensive re-scripting and reshoots, you can always just go unrated. This is a highly risky move, however, because although movie theaters can show unrated movies, they typically choose not to. This means you'll probably end up losing out on any box office returns, and will have to sell your movie to theaters essentially door to door. Yeah. So if you've ever heard about independent movie producers kind of doing uh, doing like a screening tour to individual art house cinemas, like you know, most big cities will have those one or two independent cinemas. Sometimes like tacked on to like part of the university campus, mm -hmm. um, and sometimes that's part of the reason because they're they're showing uh, materials that are considered too scandalous. Uh, to receive an R rating. There is, of course, a third option, the appeals process. Just politely explain to the nice people at the rating board that they made a mistake. Your teen comedy had depictions of oral sex and was given an NC-17 rating. But look at all these other movies that did the same thing, and they were given an R rating. If only it were that simple. Appellants, or those lodging an appeal, must do so within 25 days of the original submission, addressing the chairperson of the appeals board directly. And by the way, all this information is taken from the, the CARA website itself. Uh, there's a PDF, which we've included in the show notes, which explain not only the guidelines of the different ratings, but also uh, how the submission and appeals process works. A quorum of nine members will then be chosen by the chairperson with, quote, at least three members designated by the MPA and its member companies and three members designated by NATO, the not that NATO. <laughs> National Association of Theatre Owners. Yeah, it's not like you got uh, <laughs> a few ratings board members and then a there's few like three star generals. <laughs> yeah, they can't spare the five star generals. They're doing actual war, but they send like uh, the, the low key lackeys down to watch some movies. What did you think of the movies, guys? I thought it was fantastic, but there weren't nearly enough depictions of missiles, sir. Okay, but, you know, how, how did you feel about the direction? <laughs> it was stunning, sir. It moved me in a way I didn't think I could be moved before, sir. Okay, all right, well, love that energy. This means that at least a third of the quorum is made up by execs from theaters that the movie would then be sold to, which seems less than impartial, right? <laughs> Kind of calls to mind, again, if you've listened to our uh, Golden Ages side quest episode, where we talk about the Golden Age of Hollywood, kind of sounds a little bit like that vertical integration that, mm -hmm. that Hollywood originally had, and they supposedly phased out, where they were kind of getting out of bed with, uh, with movie theaters. But it looks like they never got all the way out. Turns out that quilt was a lot bigger than we thought it was. Sure was. A representative is allowed to speak on behalf of the appellant for no more than 15 minutes. Then a response is given by the chairperson of CARA, and back and forth until the floor is opened for questions from the quorum to the representative. The chairperson can call a halt to questioning whenever they deem appropriate. So, if they don't like your line of inquiry, yep. they can stop it. Now, you might be thinking that citing precedent would be your number one tool at your disposal, the what-about-those-guys approach. However, the interviewees in Dick's movie, who went through the appeals process themselves, all said the same thing. You're not allowed to cite precedent. Imagine being told that you can't say the word shit in your superhero movie and still get a PG-13 rating, 
when you know for a fact that they do it in every Avengers movie, but you can't mention the Avengers movies. It's almost like they don't want you bringing up anything they've done in the past because they don't have any rules for anything that they're doing, and it seems to be a fly-by-night seat-of-the-pants operation. It also seems as though... Uh, <laughs> excuse our <laughs> exceptionally sarky tone here, but it also seems as though it's harder to argue against something if you're able to point at other examples and say, well, they did it, why can't I? Uh, so, technically... Very, very technically, you can cite precedent as long as they allow you to cite precedents. Uh, we're going to go through ex some examples of, of when you can't do that. So even if the rules governing this ridiculously Kafka-esque setup have been relaxed somewhat, the wording surrounding how the appellant can relate their work to others still sounds unfairly stacked. Such references should be disregarded if, quote, an appeals board member has not seen the entire reference motion picture or lacks sufficient recollection of the entire motion picture to form a judgment on its rating. The content of the reference motion picture taken as a whole was not comparable to the content of motion picture on appeal. The content at issue may have occurred in a different rated or unrated version of the reference motion picture. The values of a majority of American parents about the content that is appropriate for their children may fairly be said to have changed since the rating of the reference motion picture. Or, other circumstances indicate that the comparison to the other motion picture is unreliable or misleading. So basically... Whatever they say. Yeah, it boils down to... Okay, I want to say shit in my superhero movie... They said shit in Avengers Endgame. Oh, I haven't seen Avengers Endgame. Uh, I don't remember enough of that movie to make a judgment. I, I remember them saying shit. I saw part of it, but I didn't see all of it. Oh, actually, yeah, no, that, but that got a different rating. The tone of that movie was different from the tone of your movie? Yeah. Uh, or I guess another circumstance would be... Nah. <laughs> I just don't feel like listening to you. So... <laughs> Essentially, even if you feel 100% you're being unfairly treated in light of how other movies were given a pass, the appeals board has basically no reason to even listen to your argument. Your movie has to stand on its own merit, meaning every movie producer, director, or writer who comes before the board is left fighting with one hand tied behind their back. Oh, and remember earlier when we mentioned that at least a third of the quorum will be made of execs from movie theatres? Well, the other two-thirds can also be filled with individuals from within the industry, making the members of this impartial committee, well, not so impartial. And in the past, at least two of the quorum members have been made up of clergy members, Catholic and Episcopalian at the time of the 2006 documentary. Why? Why Why is it important to have members of the clergy? Not, this is not specifically directed at the Catholic Church. This is not specifically directed at the Episcopalian Church. I don't care if there is a rabbi there. I don't care if there is an imam there. Why is it important to have members of the religious community present at this group? It's quite ridiculous when you watch the movie because they interview one of the members. I think they interviewed two of the members of the clergy who are part of the Board of Appeals. 
And they kind of like try and like hem and haw and be like, um, we're representative. Like they, they want the process to be transparent and we're part of making that process transparent. And you're like, how is any of this transparent? Because nobody even knew you were members of the board until somebody who had signed an NDA mentioned that there were clergy members. And both of the guys, by the way, have different takes on on the members of clergy there. There's one guy who's like won't show his face. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of saying they can vote on the movie, they can talk, they're like full-fledged members. But the the other guy is a member and they show his face and he's just basically like stonewalling them. Mm-hmm. And he seems like the MPAA sent him to like interview. Yeah. And isn't he saying that they are just there as observers? Oh, they don't say anything. He's like, well, what do you think about having clergy members there? Do you like, how do you think that impacts anything? I don't, I don't really talk to them. They don't really say anything. Mm-hmm. They're just in the background. And that's pretty much what he says for everything. Whereas the other guy's like, oh yeah, they, they vote like everybody else. On the one hand, I think if somebody is going to be inf- offended in your movie, because bear in mind, this entire time we've been talking about the children, it's got to be suitable for the children. But I think we can all be grown up enough to say that this is really about moral outrage. So on the one hand, if somebody is going to be morally outraged, I think the vast majority of people would agree with me on this. It's more likely to be somebody who uh, is considers themselves to be highly religious. I Maybe it depends on your religious denomination, but a core tenant of most religions is having a set of rules and guidelines by which to live your life. And a lot of the things that are depicted in these NC-17 rated movies are going against the rules and guidelines in most major religions. That being said, isn't it... I I mean, I I just feel insulted as somebody who is not religious at all. I also don't consider myself inherently amoral as a person. Uh, I, I just try and live my life according to the golden rule. Do unto others as you have done unto yourself. Don't mess with other people and you know, they hopefully will not mess with you. And if we can all just do that as a society, maybe we'll all get ahead. Um, So I just find it so condescending and so... I just find it very old-fashioned, like, that somebody would be like, well, this priest knows what's best for you, young lady. That priest just diddled some kids. Or if he didn't diddle some kids, he would... He's part of a whole conglomerate that's fine with that. But God forbid your movie talk about pedophilia. Like... God forbid that your movie depict two people who happen to be of the same gender who are in love with one another. Excuse me while I go touch this altar boy. I'm sorry. I mean, I am, I am being crass here for effect, but I... Yeah, I I just find that so insulting. Also, Come how on. is a Catholic priest and an Episcopalian, I don't know what the term is, pastor? I don't know. Member, how are they, those two specifically, I don't know if they're still members of the board, but those two specifically are supposed to be representative? So I think something that we didn't necessarily talk about in the last episode is how Hayes Code was championed by the Legion of Decency, which was... Uh, a Catholic-led uh, committee, mm-hmm. which was pushing for 
more censorship in mainstream movies. They were not the only religious group that was responsible, but there were many religious groups, many of whom happened to be Catholic-led, uh, which were campaigning for more censorship uh, and more labeling, I guess, in Hollywood movies. So I think this is potentially a hangover from that. Because when you consider it, okay, today there might be... Um, fewer practicing Catholics in the USA. However, 1968, I mean, mm -hmm. you, it, it's still very much a thing in many communities across I the mean, US. Today, uh, religion is, is huge, obviously. Right. But I've heard uh, many people uh, enjoy it. Uh, yeah, I've heard, uh, I've heard it's a good time. Um, I'm not saying that you can't make moral judgments based on your religion. What I'm saying is you cannot tell somebody else how to make moral judgments based on your religion. That's what I find wrong. Okay, so let's talk about some big studios and how maybe they get one over on the little guys. Hmm. If this were a problem being faced equally across the entire film and television industry, well, it would still be a problem, but at least we could pretend it was fair or a necessary evil. However, as we've already alluded to multiple times, the work of independent producers and smaller studios is made infinitely more difficult by their smaller market share. How much smaller, you ask? Well, according to the movie database, The Numbers, the top six studios represent 77.51% of the market share from 1995 to 2021. Disney had the lion's share of this, averaging 17%, but peaking at 33.3% in 2019. So presumably about the same time that they bought up ESPN and National Geographic, or is it the Discovery Channel? Uh, I think they own National Geographic. Um, as well as Marvel, and then launched Disney+. Plus. And they also bought up Fox, didn't they? I think Fox was a slightly more recent acquisition, but yeah, that that's now part of their part of their stable. Isn't it ridiculous that one company owns one third of all production? It, it is kind of insane. Um, so when, we, when we're talking about that Fox acquisition as well, 20th Century Fox is still represented in the images here. You'll notice that throughout this episode, we've still been talking about the big six studios because what, although Fox has stepped out of the limelight and has joined the, the Disney family, uh, we now have Netflix, which is also subject to these same ratings. So Disney is closely followed by Warner Bros, who has 15%. Sony Pictures at 12%, Universal at 11%, 20th Century Fox at 10%, and Paramount Pictures at 10% as well. And then there's a big jump between Paramount and the next highest grossing studio, Lionsgate, which is a full 6% lower, so at 4% of the market share. If this were a couple dozen studios, that would be one thing. But the data represents 900 different studios and teams, the vast, vast majority of which represent less than 0.01% of that market share. 
Many of them may have conducted only limited joint ventures with other studios, or are now completely defunct. Number 14 on the list is, <laughs> is the Weinstein Company, and um, I don't think they're making pictures these days. No, something happened a couple of years back, and uh, just uh, haven't seen anything else out of the Weinstein Company. Weird. Good. Do you, do you think Harvey Weinstein is still trying to make movies in in jail? He's trying to direct the other inmates. And then he's showing them to the back of his cell, being like, you yeah. work hard if you want the he, leading role. He's got a casting couch, which is his bunk, uh, and he has made like a little curtain partition out of toilet roll that he has scrounged from, uh, from the prison shop. What a piece of butter trash. Indeed. But let's circle back to movie ratings. Remember, for the producers who are handed an NC-17 rating, financially speaking, you might as well not bother. For the same time period listed, 1995 to 2021, the numbers data shows that far and away the highest grossing rating at a US box office is PG-13. The 3,230 movies listed have brought in over $112 billion during that period. Conversely, although there were significantly more R-rated movies, 5,464 overall, they only brought in around half that figure, $63 billion. Between them, these two groups represent around 75% of market share based on MPAA rating. So we've got the majority of market share, the majority of movies making money as PG-13 films. Mm -hmm. and then. Even though there are more R-rated films, they're making less money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these guys represent uh, three quarters of all movies that are being released in uh, U.S. box offices. And what of poor old NC-17 rated movies? Even when combined with the anomalous open and not rated categories, they represent less than 1% of that market share. They're not even a blip on the radar. Although there are 5,820 listed as not rated, and they took in just under $2 billion alone, they are still not even a blip. So even though there are more, that, that actually means there are more not rated movies mm -hmm. than there are R-rated movies. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, so if you, all of this is to say that if you submit your movie, to be rated, which again, you pretty much have to do if you're going to get shown in theatres and you get handed an NC-17 rating or even you want a PG-13 rating and they, they say, we're going to give you an R rating and you know that's not going to recoup the money that you've already spent on the movie and you appeal and you still don't get the rating you want and you go down the route of unrated, that's money down the, the drain, mm -hmm. essentially. I think there were only 24 NC-17 films in that same time period. Yeah. That's ridiculous. That shows you how few filmmakers are willing to release their film under NC-17. Because we can see that quite a few films are labeled as that at first. And then they're like, well, what can I cut? How do I get it down? Because this is just like suicide. Yeah. And again, to repeat the point that we made earlier, NC-17 was a rating which was manufactured back in 1990 to give movie directors, movie producers, more creative freedom and to have them make the visions that they wanted to make while still making money. And it's just, it's just turned into a big old, big old wet fart. 
Financially speaking, of course. Yeah. So uh, perhaps the problem is that in the over 100 years since the birth of cinema, there have only, broadly speaking, been two ratings organizations, in the US at least. And one of them was designed to ban, not censor, movies entirely if they failed to meet the moral standards. But assuming that we as a society can even come up with a consensus on what moral standards entail, should we assume that these things remain completely static over time? Shouldn't these things change and evolve with the changing attitudes of contemporary society? So why is it that we have this list of guidelines which were put in place in 1968? Okay, so think about the kind of movies and TV shows that came out in 1968. Think about the kind of things that were completely acceptable to show on screen. So you can show James Bond backhanding uh, one of the Bond girls because she, she's, being, she's being crazy, she's being hysterical, and, you know... Or you can show people uh, using the N-word towards people of color because it's of the time and it's fine and, you know, and... But you can't show two people in a loving same-sex relationship in exactly the same manner that you would show two people in a heteronormative relationship. Yeah, or you can show somebody blowing up uh, a ship full of narcotics but you can't show somebody uh, smoking a spliff on their day off. Which is legal in so many parts <laughs> of the U.S. now. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. So are are we going to see that change? If we legalize it across the U.S., is it suddenly going to be shown the same way that alcohol is shown in movies? Where we have, like, two characters, you know, vaping together? Yeah. Because it's legal, so why why shouldn't we? In the same way that, oh, same-sex relationships are completely legal, so why aren't they given the same treatment that... Oh, so I'll try and put this into context for you, right? Um, like many people, one of the first uh, same-sex couples that I saw in a sitcom was... Um, I forget the name of the two characters, but but they're the couple in Modern Family, right? Mm. That show aired over 10 years ago. We recently saw a clip of those two characters with their adopted daughter in the show, Lily. And I commented, so her storyline is now that she's like a teenager and she's got her own taste in teenage music. Yeah, when that show aired, they she was a baby. And... One of the early storylines was that couple uh, could now get married, right? They could legally, California had legalized same-sex marriage. All of that happened so long ago now, and yet the rating board is still apparently minorly flipping out that Marvel wants to show a same-sex couple in a PG-13 movie because... Oh my god, how will it affect sales of action figures? What about the mobile game tie-in? Oh. Or, and I know we've probably beat this to death, but like, you can show beating someone to death. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you can't show someone beating off. Like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that needs that needs to be some kind of slogan. That needs to be written on, on some kind of billboard. I'm going to make a t-shirt. So the point is, okay, let's... Let's assume that you that it isn't okay to show everything in cinema, right? Let let's start from that point. Let's say that there are certain things that you should be advised on, whether it's appropriate to bring your children, etc., etc. 
is there not a way to make this more of an organic thing that changes naturally on over time okay maybe it does not have its finger on the pulse of modern society in the same way that the news does but that it follows relatively closely along suit um part of that i think would involve changing these board members over time so we we did talk a little bit off air about some of the alternatives to this very static fucking secret society of Illuminati that they have going on. Why Why do we even need ratings? So why, why do we have a system based on age ratings when in reality there are plenty of people who don't want to see a, a film because it's too violent? There are plenty of adults who like to watch children's films. You know, why are we basing our ratings on what a theater says that our children can and cannot watch when it should be up to the parent. The parent should be <laughs> involved enough in your child's life that when they're going to go see a movie, you know what they're going to see. Fair enough. I think that's a relatively idealized world to the extent that, I mean, again, we were talking about is it okay when it comes to video games? Is it okay for your kid to play something like GTA 6. Arguably, no. I I am biased. I consider myself to be a, a gamer from a way back. And so I've seen this moral outrage come up time and time again when they talk about how kids shouldn't be playing GTA. They shouldn't be playing Call of Duty. They should be outside playing with a stick uh, or whatever. Pretending the stick's a gun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Pretending they're murdering someone with a stick gun. But my point being, uh, number one, when a certain number, when you reach a tipping point where like a certain number of other parents are doing it, you're more inclined to jump on the bandwagon rather than be that one weird parent with the weird kid isn't allowed to play video games. Fair enough. You should still be able to make an informed decision on that. And I'm okay with that decision, having a number attached to it, having a letter attached to it. But here would be my suggestion. Rather than have a fixed ratings board, why not have a focus group? Why not have multiple focus groups that, like a jury, in the same way that a jury is meant to be an impartial group of a dozen members, a broad cross-section of society that are called to make a much more life-or-death situation, why not do the same thing? You get selected to go and watch a movie for free, and then you sit and have an open conversation with other people about it. And you don't have to be a parent, but many parents are involved so that you have a, a, a fully representative group. But they want to hear your your input as somebody who watches movies, watch TV. And are you offended by what you're being seen or being shown? And do you think it's important that people be advised on some of the content? For me, I think what's important and the thing that I actually pay attention to in film ratings is the little box underneath that says something like graphic depictions of violence or drug use or uh partial nudity because and you think this movie sounds great this is it for me yeah um because for me in truth our movies can be very different an r for sex is a very different film for an r for graphic violence and I'm much more likely to go watch a movie that gets an R for sex than I am for graphic violence. Yeah. Because so, you're a real horn dog. I sure am. Um, so, for me, 
it should be something akin to what's in that box and if whoever is judging say you have like a board of a jury board or whatever if people watching like if you're getting things like graphic violence then yeah you should probably not let children watch that yeah but if like we also need to take a hard look at what we think is okay for kids and what isn't okay for kids yeah exactly and again i think most people if you were to sit them down and say no no this this is your decision don't base these decisions based on what you think a movie should be rated how do you personally feel about it how, you you know your kids better than we know your kids so how would you feel if your children sat down and watched this and if your kids are all in their 20s maybe we stop calling you to like <laughs> take part in this focus group because also we're not we're not personally friends you don't work for the rating board you have just been called in to take part in a focus group we we do stuff like this all the time before movies are shown anyway the difference is they're asking the focus group how compelled were you by this car chase or how did you feel when this character was shot in the head you know do, do you need to see more of the headshot the problem is at the end of the day the mpa is the only game in town and for some reason, we've let this voluntary board decide this huge culture for us. Why? Who are they and why did they get to decide? Yeah. So that's your call to action for this week, guys. Go out, find an MPA. Mer <laughs> no, no. Uh, <laughs> find their home address. Uh, the addresses will be in the show notes. Do not. <laughs> uh no at all in in all seriousness please do not stalk or harm anyone in general because it is not a cool thing to do certainly not and then uh, people are going to say we're immoral and uh they're more qualified to make decisions on our behalf but if you are interested in it please do look in our show notes descriptions and also take a take a gander at the film the uh this film is not yet rated yeah it's uh it's it's a hoot it's a hoot and a it's half. A, it's a, oh, hey. <laughs> I would say it's more like a hoot and a third, but yeah, it's fine. It's kind of a hoot. Do you, wanna, do you want some weird facts? Oh, yeah. Uh, do you want to go first or should I? Uh, I'll go first. All right, you go first. All right, so while we are on the topic of censorship, I wanted to talk a little bit about book banning and people of color and representation. Um, recently, there's been something in the news about uh, a school in Pennsylvania and how pretty much all books by people of color was banned for a year and the students were protesting until finally the ban was listed was lifted and so while only about one in ten children's books are by or about people of color according to industry experts 52 percent of the most often banned or challenged books from 2000 to 2014 either addressed issues of race sexuality or disability, or included characters who are non-white LGBTQ. Can can you can you hear through your headphones how hard I am shaking my head? How absolutely ridiculous is that? I remember in my school we read books like Their Eyes Were Watching God, um, other books that had been like previously banned, or parents would kick up a fuss about, and like. My hat's off to these kids who were so adamant in, like, Pennsylvania about 
showing their school board that they weren't happy about the fact that these books were banned. And these books are not, they're not even controversial books. They're books that are called something like, I love my hair. And like, cuando que descubres quien eres, like when you discover who you are. You were so outraged that you actually switched languages for a second and... and... <laughs> That's the title of the book. Um, the books, there's like a list, uh, someone on Twitter released a list and I'll, I'll put it in, um, on our Instagram, but basically there must be like a hundred books that are under the list for learners and they're all children's books and books all about being a person of color or like the color pink is not just for girls or like the color pink is for boys. Um, and then there are books for educators like me and white supremacy, combat racism, change the world and become a good ancestor, breaking a uh, being the change lessons and strategies to teach social comprehension. Combat racism sounds like a martial art that's taught to, <laughs> to violent rednecks. Now what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to grab them by the head. No. Um, but just how ridiculous is it that these books are being banned? So my uh, my advice to you is take a look at what books are being banned in your school area because it's really important that kids have access to books that are about them. It's also very important that if you as a man like me feel that you can pull off pink and you don't even feel insecure and feel like you need to call it salmon or or cherry blossom or whatever if you're like no fuck it i look really good in a pink shirt you do go look fuck good yourself. in a pink shirt thank you i know i know that i know that no nobody banned a book telling me i can wear pink jesus christ um i'm uh if you tuned in last time um you'll know what this is if you didn't what the fuck are you doing? What have you been listening to for the past oh, nine months? Um, <laughs> I got some, I got some weird, weird ratings, weird blurbs that accompany the ratings for different movies. So are you are you ready? I am ready. Get ready. All right, Three Ninjas Knuckle Up from nineteen ninety three, uh, rated PG thirteen for non stop ninja action. <laughs> Do you think they lobbied for that? <laughs> they were like, no, I don't just want, like, action. I want non-stop ninja action. They just, uh, they passed the paper. <laughs> they got the paper, they flipped it over, they wrote, like, they scribbled on it, they passed it back over, and they were like, you've just added the word ninja, and they just, like, nod sagely. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, what else have we got here? We have Matilda from 1996. Rated PG for elements of exaggerated meanness and ridicule, and for some mild language. And for watching a kid have to shove a chocolate cake in their mouth. Because that is emotionally scarring. Yeah, nobody <laughs> nobody wants to be force-fed chocolate. That kind of thing puts you off chocolate. Uh, what else have we got here? We have Mean Girls from 2004. Rated PG-13 for sexual content, language, and some teen partying. Not teen partying! Not just any partying. Teen partying. Most vicious of partying. I know. It's, it's mean partying. Uh, we got Alice in Wonderland, the two, 2010 version, directed by Tim Burton. Uh, rated PG for fantasy action violence involving scary images and situations and for a smoking caterpillar. <laughs> so, like, wait, wait. <laughs> I'm not okay with it smoking and I'm definitely not okay with it being a caterpillar. This feels vaguely racist, but I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's it's somethingist. 
Uh, we got the Monuments Men from 2014, rated PG-13 for some images of war violence and historical smoking. <laughs> Which is like whenever <laughs> whenever somebody takes a pull of a, a cigarette, it turns sepia-toned. Uh, yeah. They're just talking radio boys. <laughs> the soundtrack gets real crackly. Last one here uh, is my favorite. It's Twister from 1996. PG-13 for intense depiction of very bad weather. Have you as a child ever been upset I... because the weather was too bad? Yeah, there's tons of kids who hide under blankets because it's very windy. All right, gang. Well, we gotta we gotta stop because we have ran out of energy. Boot scooting boogie. Physically, emotionally, and also my laptop. Uh, so we hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you've liked the show, please give us a like, give us a follow, and leave a review. This has been Enter the Rabbit Hole. As always, reminding you to uh, don't smoke historically or regularly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair don't go back in time and smoke that's really that's gonna mess with your future self alright gang take care bye bye ciao Enter the Rabbit Hole is written and presented by William Grant and Alicia Palmer the music was created by Glenn Marshall more information and sources can be found in the episode description you can email us at etrhthepod at gmail or follow us on Instagram at etrhthepod thanks for listening Thank you.